And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 38 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, August 4th, 2014. Well, folks, it's Shark Week. You know that? That's right. It's Shark Week. It's a Sharknado-filled week. And did you know that sharks are sensitive? That's right. They smell things more than half a mile away. They've got electroperception, a sense that alerts them to electric impulses. That's how they find their food. Well, we're sensitive, too, here at PNR, and if Shark Week has you afraid to get into the water, why don't you just crank up the iPad and come on over and give us a review on iTunes, won't you? Because really, Joe and I have electroperception, too, and we'd love to feel your electric review. And we hope you'll also consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher and stop on by the blog post at thisoldmarketing.com, where, of course, you'll find all the links to the news and everything we talk about here. Anyway, speaking of sharks, it's time to welcome my colleague and good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome one half of the Jay-Z and Beyonce of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, Joe? God. Where do you happy, come up with happy this Happy Shark stuff? Week. Come on. Know, it's just, did you, you, know, it's did you watch man. Sharknado 2? I did. It was fantastic. I, I loved I it. I watched uh, 20 minutes of it the other day, and now <laughs> I am officially dumber. For doing so. no, it was. It's actually. It's if you can let yourself go for a little bit. It's, it's oh, unbelievably it's so great. hysterical. It's so great. It's so great. The fact that you know, I mean, it's. I mean, how it's an all-star cast. How do you not get over the fact that Sharknado has an all-star? What's the cast? guy? Uh, what's the guy? The cab driver from Taxi. What, what's? Uh, it's uh, Judd Hirsch. I'm, yeah, I'm like, oh god, no! I said no, not Judd Hirsch. I'm okay with Ian yeah. Zeering, but not Judd. You're in Zeering and. Tara Reid, come on now! That's 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 a list quality acting. Is this supposed right to there, be a 3D friend. show? Because when Tara Reid gets her arm ripped off by the there shark, it looks know. like it's supposed to be three dimensional. You know. Well, it's Sci-Fi Channel, so what are you going to do? Well, you know, I don't think it's 3D; it's television. So, so, but yeah, it's well. I think you need to tell the audience because you told them last week you were going to Cowboys spring training, so you had a. I did. I absolutely did go to the Cowboys spring training Is camp. Is it spring training? It's just training it was, camp. It's spring it's, training. It's, I think be, it's just training camp. Be baseball, yeah, it was. Yes. Right. It was. Yeah. And I went to the training camp up in Oxnard. It was everything I hoped it could be. Um, it was packed. It was ten thousand people there easily. Um, we watched them scrimmage. We do uh, the classic, what they call the blue white scrimmage game that they have every year. Um, watched. Des catch a few passes, watch Tony throw a few passes, um, watch Jason Witten, you know, saw the coach. I, I'm just, you know, it was a great, it was a great, I joined the fan club. I got my little new fan club license plate and my fancy camp t-shirt. And it was like going to camp for me. It was kind of nice. When I came home, um, my wife was like, how was camp? <laughs> and I said it was camp. I was great. So Went into the fridge, a got a bologna day. sandwich. It was a wonderful day. You know, everything, exactly right. everything was Cut fine. off the edges. Yeah, it was very nice. It was a lovely, lovely day. That's fantastic. <laughs> and as you know, we spent the weekend at, uh, at Jack Daniels Distillery. <laughs> I and know. We'll talk a little, yeah, we'll talk, I'll talk that, a little yeah. bit about that later because that'll go into my, my rave for the week. But, no, I had a, had a fantastic time celebrating our creative director's 40th birthday. And uh, he's not—he's not, not going to be forty for, what, what, for what? another two or three weeks yet. So I think that—I think it must be a month-long celebration. Which he'll there it is. What's well, a jubilee, really? <laughs> when you think about it, <laughs> absolutely. So, oh, before we get started, right. I did want to mention yeah, right. uh, that we kicked off today our partnership with 
top rank and Lee Odin over top there at top rank. We are putting out a series of amazing ebooks on content marketing leading up to Content Marketing World. Alice in Wonderland. Oh, and of course, Joe Kalinowski, our creative director, put that all together. Just fantastic. Congratulations, Joe. It's fantastic. It's it's a big hit on the internet. Uh, Somebody told me it was hot on Twitter. And of course, can it get any better than that? Uh, Go ahead and check it out on toprankblog.com and you'll check out the first one. And there will be one, I think, every Monday until... September 8th, and we lead up to Content Marketing World. So, and genius. Great job by Lee and the folks at Top Rank, of course. Oh, just a wonderful. They, every year they do this, and it's just a fantastic job. It's a great do. partnership and, uh, and actually really good material. Uh, so, if you get a chance, check it out. And the first one is called Building a Content Marketing Strategy. And I forgot what the next one is, but there's one. On, I think you and I are in the ROI one. That's right. Yeah. I, I contributed to the ROI I one. I did the same thing. So, it figures. Yeah. We couldn't, couldn't All spread it out. Right. Let's do it. Let's do it. What? Let's get into the news, shall we? Well, the first news item, I just had to I, – I love this because I had to pick it because it's uh, taking you a little bit out to the woodshed here. Um, it's called Three Reasons Why Content Marketing Won't Work in Associations. And it's an article written on a blog called socialfish.org um, by a woman, uh, Maggie McGarry. And she really talks through three reasons she saw you speak, or she didn't see you speak, actually, even uh, more to the point. Didn't see you speak, but heard all this wonderful presentation that you did. And then basically, I guess, is kind of taking you to task on these three reasons that you can't just idle in here, Mr. Polizzi, and tell us why content marketing is going to be so easy to do for associations. Because they got silos and technology and staff and budget problems there in Associationville. What do you? What say you to all of that? What's, oh, I'm honored to be, uh, be thrown <laughs> down publicly like this. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I love the whole line. I didn't see Joe Polizzi speak about content marketing, right. but now I'm going to tell you why he's completely wrong. But now I'm going to tell you about, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> So anyways, it's an interesting article. Uh, three reasons why content marketing won't work for associations. Yeah, my take, we talked about this before. Here's my take. The the three reasons she lists, silos, technology, and, and staff skill sets are ones you could say for any business anywhere on the planet. You could say large businesses, small businesses, for-profit, not-for-profit, associations, all that kind of stuff. And and the issue that I have with the whole thing is, I mean, it's fine, right? It's it's hopefully a helpful article for people. I don't care if she didn't like my take. What I didn't get out of the whole thing is <laughs> I never said it was easy. She basically goes on and say, well, Joe Polizzi, the outsider who doesn't know associations, is saying it's easy and all associations have to do is this. Well, if she would have been at my presentation, she would have learned, one, I spent seven years working pretty heavily with associations while at Penn. 50% of our work was association work. So I do know a little bit about the association area. The second thing I said, this is really hard to do because as you say all the time, it's a different mindset, even for associations. So you've got to think a little bit different. And I, I commented, I didn't see this article, so I'm glad you pointed it out. So I commented today on it. And my comment back to her was basically what I'm saying here. But I'm also saying, look, silos, this problem exists in in enterprises as well. Technology, it's not usually a technology problem. It's usually a problem where somebody chooses technology and doesn't have a content marketing plan for the technology. That's where I think the problem is. So there's not – nobody's in association saying, I "I can't do content marketing because I don't have the right technology. Really? 
Well, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, I mean, she starts off by saying, you know, well, for, you know, basically making, making the point in technology that for profit companies have all this amazing, shiny new technology that associations can't afford. And it's like, you should see some of the B2B organizations that I exactly. deal with on a day to day basis and the lack of budget and or will and or ability to install, implement, or use technology in any kind of way. So, it's not something that's special to associate. Well, the one thing, sure. the one thing, so when she's talking about staff skill set, she actually goes back <clears> against <throat> her argument because she talks about how marketing is very, you know, when she's talking about silos and then staff, marketing is very disconnected from the publishing group. And that's where, if you think about it, most organizations that we deal with don't have a publishing group. Associations do. Associations have a right. group of people that totally get the whole idea of consistent publishing. They, it's just not a strategic asset in the organization. That's the problem. So it's usually a C-level well, it's not, And it's not looked at as a strategic marketing asset, right? I mean, it's looked at as a member, member services Member asset, retention, right? member you know, services. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But that's where, you know, this is what I talked about in the Q&A of the presentation that Maggie wasn't at which would have helped if she was actually there. But, but the way that we were talking about it was the, the fact that if you are – I totally lost my train of thought. I had something really good to say too. It was like it was gonna be amazing. just rolling it was gonna over be amazing. saying that this thing – go ahead. Wait, were you going to say something else because I'll remember it in a second? Well, I, the only thing I was going to say is, is, is I was going to come back to this idea of staffs and budgets and, 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 and it's this idea of – you know what she talks about in the beginning where she talks about silos is that the publishing people want to do this and the marketing people want to do that and never the tween shall meet and it's like well that's the thing that has to change and the point that she makes in in her in her first point about silos is yeah it's a good idea but it's too big of a problem to solve and that just can't be our attitude we just can't have the attitude that this is never going to oh. get fixed and the, and the and but it, then it comes to your point it, she comes back around in in point number 3 and basically says yeah, we don't have the budget to do any of this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, we all, you know, every company struggles with budgets and priorities and stuff like that. But to have actually the the, the skill set already embedded into your organization that has writers and publishers and the ability to aggregate an audience and do all that stuff, sort of core to what you do, you already have a leg up on every other for-profit company in exactly. the world. You're already halfway there. You just got to sort of give yourself permission to go do it. That's it. And, and that's if you have, at least in my experience with working with associations, the one that, that are the ones that are successful have an executive director that's very supportive. It's part of the overall business model and strategy, and it works for them. You're right. I mean, basically, marketing and publishing become one and the same. But I, I did exactly. remember what I was going to say. Here's the, here's the issue. Most associ- it better be really good. Oh, now. this is this is great. This is worth the whole listen to for you listeners out there. This will just we be go. A- the, the, the issue with associations are most of the time in the past their content has been a member service. So 90% right. of the content that they created was behind a firewall and you had a you know member access to get in or you got it sent to your mail only because you're a member and that was great because you didn't have a lot of competition from a content standpoint. Now you do have more competition. You're still doing the same things, but so are 100 other companies giving away the same information for free and they don't have to be a member of your organization. So that's where associations need to, need to change their business model and look at, well, the content marketing, the marketing, the publishing that we're doing, that really needs to be seen as more of a marketing function and not just necessarily the, this a member benefit. The member benefits have to be something different than content. 
in my opinion. Right. Or 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 differentiated content, ah. right? Just different different content. Right? And because I mean, well, we'll get into it when we talk about this old marketing example this week, but that's exactly it, right? Is differentiating your content for what its purpose is. And in many cases, because you've already got the skill set embedded as an association, it's not that much harder to to launch a let's call it a separate publication for marketing purposes. So I guess all I would say to Maggie, Maggie, thank you for the article. I guess Great all, I, yeah, all I would say is it's just very tough. I mean, you and I, Robert and I, we're, we're both writing. We, we write a lot of stuff. And the one thing that we do is we try to get as, a, as much original source material as possible. And when you start off your article and say, I didn't see it, I wasn't there, but I'm taking it from this one source, it's just it's tough to do an article like that. I'd have been happy. It would have been great if Maggie reached out to me and said, hey, I saw this, but here's my problems. And she could have had a a different kind of article, I think. She could have had an interview with the Godfather. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yes, she could. Moving on yes, to the next story. Yes, she could have. She could have <laughs> with her shoes and her glasses. And it's been too long. This is been too long of a weekend with a lot of fools in a it's, car. It's going to be yes, hours, indeed. So we were doing a lot of jerky boys commentary. So there you go. <laughs> Moving on to the next story, Adidas, the shoemaker, uh, new rules for content marketing. This uh, article comes to us courtesy of Marketing Magazine out of the UK. A wonderful website, by the way, if you haven't seen it. They've got some really good stuff uh, uh, pretty regularly, marketingmagazine.co.uk. And this article really talks through Adidas's approach to the World Cup um, and how they did it with content over campaigns. And you know, Joe, I want to get your take on this, but I this article made my heart sing. I mean, with with just how right on the money their sort of seven takeaways were here. You know, the quote that sort of teased the whole thing up, tease all seven takeaways up, is he says, When we look back in four years' time, the payoff will be that we didn't rely on the boom and bust of an ad campaign. From our results, Content as a first approach is the strongest way to win, and our legacy from this World Cup is the followers we can continue the conversation with. I mean, that's just so elegant. He said that so elegantly. Basically, what we say every single week, aggregate your audience, build your own audience, and you will ta- it will provide value for you over time, over time, over time. And it's just it's just there, right? I mean, and then the seven takeaways are just like yes, it's like the seven commandments of content marketing. It's just really great. It really, is, it would, it's probably worth us going through some of this stuff because just it's and all enterprises should look at this. And it's just so sad. The one part of the article, and I get it, right? They're saying while they had this great hit here at the World Cup and they did all this stuff and this content first approach, the stock is hitting a sixteen month low. That's that back to, and that's and basically why that's so important and why we need to talk about this is that's what CMOs and VPs of marketing and people that are running content marketing programs are faced with because they're not given the leash for patience. And the whole thing and where we talk about it in this Rupert Pratt, uh, co-founder of Generate Sponsorship says this, and they got this quote from, from Rupert and says, it's too soon to declare a victor. Well, Basically, the idea was Adidas is investing in content for the investing in their audiences with a content first approach for the long haul. For the long haul, yeah, we don't yeah. know what the, it's just part of an overall. I mean, you, you can't just say, "Oh, it was it won," like you can say a Super Bowl ad won because it got the most viewers. 
because the because right. this is a totally different. They're actually trying to build a long term relationship with a certain section of audience that really has a propensity for football. So that's right. Should we go through some that's of these? Right. So, I mean, it's yeah, absolutely, absolutely. What, what was let's, I mean, let's first... pick your your couple that are really the most important. Oh, I think, out well, of this. I mean, I think I think possibly my favorite was uh, number six, which was uh, look beyond the campaign where. He talks about, you know, um, that's where the boom and bust quote comes from, by the way, where he says, you know, we just wanted to get beyond um, a campaign focused mentality. Um, and it's really about building this thing that goes as a sort of continued effort over uh, over a long period of time. And then I don't know, it's it may be tied with the, the number seven, <clears throat> which is don't leave your emotions at the door, which is just, again, right up my alley here where they talk about not letting any sort of corporate agenda override the understanding of the sort of in emotional investment that they were trying to get from these consumers, um, you know, as they were sort of telling all these different stories. And a lot of this was unbranded. They make a very, very, very concerted point to say, you know, a, a, lot, a good piece of this didn't have any Adidas brand to it at all. And it was just about building an audience to this content unbranded. And ultimately, you'd find out, I guess, that it was Adidas sponsored or Adidas created. But it was really about the content at the end, you know, developing the importance and the value of the content rather than sort of as a sales function of a brand. It's just it was just really I mean, just well, really. well. You know, done. what's interesting as I was reading this, I just kept thinking about the agile marketing organization, which is what they're trying to create. I mean, it's I. The the way that they invested, like number one is really they invested in anticipated content. So they invested yep. in they, – they planted a content creator, a storyteller within each of their their World Cup teams, Adidas's World Cup teams. And they planned for stories that could be told. And they said from what we can gather, they have hundreds of pieces of content that have not been used yet. Oh, it's a, it's amazing. Isn't it something? I'm sure and I'm they trying do. to think about. Oh, I'm sure they well, do. Well, this is a new kind of team, and that's what I really want. It's almost like when we talked about the whole Oreo dunk in the dark thing. The big, the big thought for me was was not that. Oh my God, every it was it stole the Super Bowl. The big thought for me was what was the team that was created that that put in place? And of course, they did it with the hundred years of Oreo, and they started to create this team. Sure. Of eighteen months they had exactly. planning into that. I think this is this is what what I'm most intrigued about is what does this team look like? And it's very of course very similar to your news organization. So if, if NBC as NBC approaches the Olympics, this is how they look at it, right? It's and now now you have Adidas doing the same thing, in essence. Looking for the stories ahead of yeah. time, getting their storytellers, getting their reporters, their journalists on site. Looking for those opportunities, and I, this is yep. a big story, right? But in a World Cup, maybe the biggest thing in the world. But I think that if you are a company out there, you could do this at trade shows, you could do it at industry events, um, you could do it at customer events, you could do it on a daily basis. And I just think it's just the different way of, of looking at it, and, the, and I just loved it. So. Maybe it's a function that really focuses on experiences and content rather than, hmm. Do we know anybody Sounds that's like writing a, a book? I don't know. That? I don't know. Perhaps. I would. Well, I mean, it's. 
a small plug on your book coming out. But if you, you look at, <laughs> and I remember I did a white paper in 2003 when I was at Penton Custom Media, and we were doing it as part of our own content marketing. But we talked right. about looking at content, at, looking at marketing as an asset. <clears throat> And, and yep. we have to, right? We can't just look at it. It can't just be an expense. We can't just spend it on campaigns and, and have it look into, oh, here's the people, and here's how we're churning out the PDFs and the sales material. We have to look at it as an asset. That's the And that's the second thing I got out of this whole thing was really the, the investing was used many times in this article, investing in content and looking at the long-term uh, rewards or reaping from this audience that they're going to get and that's all it's an all an asset based program and i that's what i loved about it yeah yeah i mean it was you know uh you know i yeah it's just fantastic it's just fantastic i mean i've had more than one cmo tell me recently that they've got you know they're starting to do some of this stuff and they've got enough assets to actually they could sell some of them and it's like and and they're just like they're looking at that as, you know, Adidas could actually take all this wonderful content that they didn't have the ability to express. They could package. I'll bet they have enough footage from the World Cup to package all of that up together and make a really super cool documentary that they could sell to ESPN or something like that. I mean, it's, I'll, bet, I'll bet they have that level of content available I, to them. I think that's a great idea. And the other thing is, this is what we should also be talking about this, the, the cost of doing this compared to what they would have normally spent. Well, like let's say compared to what Nike spent on advertising during the World Cup. Right. I would really yeah. like to know these numbers because I because it sounds expensive, but it's probably not even close to the media spend. No, not, not even. even close. Not even close. So, not it's just a close. heck of a lot more work. It is. It's a lot of work and it's a lot of care and it's a lot of feeding and it's a lot of it's a it's a lot of, you know, investment, right? It's like you just said, it's you know, we won't know for a long time whether or not they actually have, you know, turned some corner on this because you can't measure it the day after and go, you know, what was the reach? You know, the the I mean you can look at the reach, but you don't that's not the value of it, you know. And and so many times you know, I, 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 this is especially true. I'll talk to a B two B marketer, and and I've you know I've said this before on the show, which is, it's not necessarily how much did you spend to get that customer. It's what kind of customer are you getting, and you know, in many cases, especially in B two B, the 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 customer through a content marketing program may take longer, may cost more. But what kind of customer are you creating? Are you creating one that's more loyal, that will spend more, that will actually engage, that will actually tell your story through you know mm-hmm. press releases and all that kind of stuff? If you're creating a customer that's twice as valuable, why wouldn't you want to spend 1.2 times the cost to actually acquire that customer? If I can, you know, if I don't have to send you a coupon or some panicked phone call at the end of the third quarter to say, please buy my stuff, and yeah, I got a transaction out of you, but you don't really care about me. If I can instead in, engage you over the long haul and create you as a valuable, delighted, engaged customer as a brand subscriber, as we call it in the book, well then, you know, it's I've I've now created I've now created value much more than sending you a darn. Coupon. Well, even in the article, they say. There's not anyone that is watching the World Cup that doesn't know who Adidas is, but they want people that feel something positive about that. That's the yeah, difference, right? Exactly. Everybody knows brand awareness, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we want some emotion. We want them to feel something, and that's what this program can do. And so hopefully it'll yeah. pay off. I think it will. 
Exactly. I hope yeah. it will, too. I hope it will, too. Okay, so moving on to the next story. This one's about uh, our friends at Facebook. <clears throat> it's um, Instagram. Here we go. Instagram marketing is very quickly catching Facebook, so says an article at Adweek this week. Um, and the article goes on to talk about and really asking a question, is Instagram to Facebook um, – the challenger or you know what is going on here where they did a study uh this group called shareably 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 i guess it's one of those oddly such a cute name name i like it it makes me feel happy Uh, really shareably shareably Shareably. all right what do you get what are you doing today i'm shareably yeah Yeah. oh that's nice nice. lovely for you all right there's (laughs) anyway they did a study most of them uh they said basically that there's a lot more engagement going on on Instagram that we might have otherwise thought. I mean, basically, they, they, they talked about how Instagram had 493,000 posts, a 49% year-over-year jump of an engagement. Um, where from brands. You look at Facebook. Yeah, from yeah, just from brands. brands yeah. Right, from, from just brands, where Facebook had basically 2.5 million brand posts, basically a year-over-year growth of 22%. Basically, Instagram, in this case, is growing twice as fast as Facebook. Now, of course, Facebook owns Instagram, so we'll see how quickly they can screw it up. But what do you, I mean, what do you think about well, this? I think the numbers? big, so you said the numbers, right? Way more yeah. activity for brands on Facebook, but the stuff that gets me is the engagement. So there are uh, what 6,932 actions per post on Instagram, which is right. three times, almost exactly three times the amount on Facebook. So what that tells me is that, so there's still way more brand activity on Facebook, but from an engagement, you're going to get three times the amount of engagement if you do this right on Instagram versus Facebook. So I think that's something, of course, that, that tells me that we're not getting the organic uh pull through push through whatever you want to call it on facebook so you know they're not seeing they're not seeing my posts so they're not interacting with my posts i think on instagram and i just wanted to check it out as i was reading this i'm like is this let's just go to one i went to general electric of course you know because she's the, the runs the program she's speaking at content marketing world i said let's take a look at hers i mean they thousands of interactions per picture and this is G. This is a big B two B brand. Two hundred thousand followers on. I mean, they're yeah. talking about innovation, so it's all about design and innovation and people sure. commenting, yeah. and it's really amazing. So, I the one here's my thing is: Are they going to mess it up with advertising? They're going to have to monetize this sooner than later. How are they going to do that? Well, I think this comes back to your rant that you'll get on about mobile and all that kind of stuff because I I suspect if we looked at the if we looked at the data, we peeled back the data on mobile access, I mean really, it's probably it's it's probably the lion's share of this interaction and and traction on Instagram is is through mobile devices. I mean, you don't even really inter- interact with Instagram other than on mobile. So, you know, I think you do, you know what they're going to do. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to do on mo- so let's say yeah, it's totally Totally mobile because you've got nothing on the desktop, and you're going to see the app ads hit Instagram just like it. And the, actually, Adweek said last week, it, an article linked to the ones we we're just talking about, said out of the gate, hundred million dollars a quarter revenue coming on Instagram as soon as they turn it on. Golly, yeah. yeah. 
course, they did pay a billion dollars for it. But to think about they could they could get <laughs> four hundred million in revenue in the first year of monetization. That's pretty impressive. I mean, that billion yeah. dollars that they spent is going to look cheap in a year. Yeah, well, we'll see how long they can keep it up, right? I mean, because, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before when we've talked about Facebook, that it's, you know, a year from now or two years from now, Facebook may look very different than what we even remembered as Facebook. You know, they're, the way they're sort of assimilating things like, you know, Instagram and, and you know, they you know buying up other companies, they may actually just end up being sort of, whatever the platform is that is most popular for the day and sort of figuring out ways to monetize that for, you know, for do, periods of time. Do you time. know what the deal is with Messenger? Have you used Messenger at all? I am getting nagged to death about Messenger, and I'm just ignoring well, it. Well, aren't, the aren't they I going mean, to I, fo- I hate, So Messenger I, is the message portion of Facebook, and they basically created a separate app for those people listening, created a separate app called correct. Messenger, and now you can get all your messages in Messenger – and I switched over to it, and it's a little bit clunk. It, it was seemed much easier. Oh, everybody in the hates app. it. I've not heard. Oh yeah, I haven't heard anybody who says they like it. And everybody's my Facebook feed is full of people like, oh my god, I can't, I don't want to do it. And then there's also the, the you know, there's the, there's an article out um, which we could put in the show notes, which is called the insidiousness of of the uh, the messenger app, which you give it all kinds of permissions when you when you when you actually. Um, when you actually install it, including, by the way, access to your microphone, which I'm sure, by the way, is for they want to get into voice and, and all kinds of things. You know, so there's there's application reasons for it. But of course, it's me being handled in the in the fumbled way that Facebook usually does with privacy things. You know, it's basically you just you go check your permissions and it's got permission to post. It's got permission to email your friends. It's got permission to talk. It's got permission to your camera. It's got permission to all these things. And people are just starting to freak out. So I think you know, it's probably at some point going to be a forced turnover. If you want to use Messenger on Facebook, you're going to have to do it through the app. But I, you know, I I so rarely use messaging through Facebook anyway. I just try and discourage it as much as I can. Just like send me an email. See, yeah, like, it depends you know, on the people. If, like, you know what I mean? It, we have a, a couple personal groups on Facebook that we all talk, the friends talk, and that's all done on Facebook instead of email. So now we've moved all over to Messenger, and it's just. It's just interesting. I was just asking a side <clears throat> yeah. question. Probably has nothing to do with our conversation, but I just thought it was interesting <laughs> in, in the fact that you know here's Facebook again doing their thing. It's just like a go to market yeah. strategy. Is they just they they tweak those terms and conditions so much to get everybody upset about it, and then then everybody is not upset anymore, and then they do <laughs> they do it again in a year. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think you know, I think well, I mean, this gets off on a whole different topic that we don't want to go down. But but you know, I think this idea of privacy and interest in data collection, and while I think that has been largely you know just exactly like you, said, you know, if you ask somebody if they're concerned about privacy and data, they go absolutely. I'm very very concerned about it. As they log into Facebook and don't ever check their privacy settings yeah. ever, right? So, but I do believe that. New apps, new solutions, new browser extensions, new ideas are going to come forward to either allow consumers to either not think about it or to actually those that are thinking about it to very easily start to block their data. And so I think it's actually going to become more of an issue for marketers going forward. This idea of data collection and how it actually gets done is going to become more precious, not less so. I would agree with that. I just don't know how it's going to happen, but totally agree. Yeah. It's going to, there's going to be a point where something's going to happen 
some brand, some company is just going to get too smart about it and we're going to see Big Brother all over the wall. And we're going to yep. be like, something's got to stop and there's going to be a movement against it. Exactly so. right. Exactly right. All right, moving on to our next story. This one comes from CMO.com. A really kind of a interesting – I had not heard of this term before, and I'm wondering if you did, Joe. I mean, there was, the, the article is entitled How Dark Social, which sounds a little bit like a comic book character, actually. <laughs> I thought the right? same yeah. thing. Is there a uniform? Yeah. Is there you – know, what is it? D- yeah, right. You know, Dark Social going through Gotham. Um, you know, so da- how dark social affects your content marketing strategy. And really the article speaks to – Something that will sound familiar to all of us who've been in marketing for any amount of time, but we don't really put a lot of thought to it, which is there are a number of people who share our stories, our blog posts, our other social posts, but they don't do so from the sharing buttons. In other words, they don't RT it. They don't uh, hit the sharing button. They basically copy and paste the URL and send it to a friend via email or copy and paste it into a Facebook message maybe and send it that way. And this this idea of sharing that happens in a way that we're not typically capturing and or measuring very well. And the article goes through a couple of ideas of people who are actually talking and speaking to this. And in much the same way that I think that people are looking at SEO sort of in this, how do we start to measure organic and the sort of the direct traffic that we seem to be the number one in everybody's website traffic? How do we start to track and look at uh, this dark social sharing as a means of expanding our reach through social. So, did you? Did you? Did I never you heard of the term article? before. Um, yeah. Who was it? Was it the Atlantic writer that came up? Uh, yeah. Alexis yeah, yeah. Madrigal, uh, yeah, that's deputy right. editor of the Atlantic, that coined it in 2000, October of 2012. And I'd never heard of it before. And I actually, so I, I did a little bit of research. So basically, what we're talking about is it's anything that's sent via messenger text message or email that you cannot track so you are so let's say that um and i it happens to us all the time right i'll see something on twitter and i'll take it and i'll email it to you so that we can put it in your evernote or whatever that's right Uh, so that happens all the time and nobody can track that and this is the big concern that we can't we can't track most of the traffic that's coming from google analytics now and because it's uncategorized, and then now we've got this whole dark social thing. And I guess I never thought of it this way, but I know it happens. Is there a takeaway here for somebody? Yeah, so basically the article says, it's a problem. We need to target the right audience. We need to put on the right tags. Is that the it? Is it that how we're going to do it? We just need to make sure we tag our content a little bit differently? I think that's really the takeaway here is, you know, and, and, and we've talked about this before that, you know, as you start putting together a smart content marketing strategy, tagging your content, and even to the extent of where you can append it with URLs and, and those sorts of, or tags to the end of URLs and that sort of thing starts to make a lot of sense. Um, and where you can do things like bit.ly links and make it really easy for people to share links rather than sort of just sharing buttons can also help, help that a lot. What, I mean, the one thing I would say is, is that, you know, the one uh, guy who's quoted here who talks about, you know, the lift that they were actually able to see once they started to think about this a little bit and put in some solutions to optimize it a bit um, is that they saw that a, a six to nine X lift in the audience size that, 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 that for their, for their particular content source. So I think there's something there and it's something for us to sort of pay but, attention to. Just so to. I know, cause I'm, I try, I read this a couple times. I'm trying to figure out what did they do different 
to get the six to nine times lift? Did they start to? Well, tag I'm a the- little. I'm a little. Well, I'm a hesitant. So they 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 employed this solution, which is mentioned in the article, which you know makes me a little suspicious about the way this one solution, this software solution, is is so prominently featured here. Um, you know, not to not to tee up our next article on John Oliver and native advertising <laughs> exactly. or anything, but but you know, there's a there's a there's a company named here where they actually talk through. Um, that this 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 company basically did some of those things, link shortening URLs, and actually made it making it easier, and then did a little research, I guess, on top of that to find out that they actually got this six to nine x uplift in the audience size. That yeah. So basically, measure. here's the idea, right? So here's the takeaway for everyone listening to this: you create an original URL of content, and then you right. you put different source codes on it and how you're sending it out. And then as that's sent around, technically. So if I, um, let's say I found something on LinkedIn and I grab that URL, that URL should be tagged differently so that when I send that to you through email, LinkedIn gets the credit. Gotcha. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a simpler way. I'm sure it goes deeper than that, but at least that's something. (laughs) But let's talk, I want to talk about the next one because it's an interesting 11-minute video. This is well, so if you didn't see it, and it's going a little viral this week, as you might expect, um, John Oliver and his show uh, this week tonight, or last tonight week, this tonight. week, yeah. or last week this week, or this week last week tonight, or yesterday, his show, which is fantastic by the way on HBO, um, probably as good, if not even better, in some ways than The Daily Show and his commentary on what's going on in politics and and some of the issues of the day. Just a, a wonderful show. Well. Whatever. Last night he took on native advertising, and the video's out on YouTube, and of course we'll put it out on the show notes. Of, of course, as always, and where he basically just goes off for eleven minutes on native ads and why this is really bad, and um, basically calling it as he says, repurposed bovine waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting. I, I and I totally want to get your take on this because as I'm sitting there watching this, my, you know, my wife knows what I do for a living, and. She's sitting next to me, and we're watching this live, right? So we turned on the show live, and we're watching it, and it's happening. And we don't say a word the entire thing. The, just It's just quiet between us the entire time he's going off. And at the end of the 11 minutes, he finishes, and she turns to me, and she goes, So what would you think about that, MF-er? Right? So she basically just says, Yeah, what would you think about that? How's that sit in your pancake right just an, an, so. an, an elegant response obviously. just a really elegant response yeah just totally totally right on the money so we talked about it a little bit and i knew i wanted to talk about it on the show with the you. one part that i um, thought was funny was the, the native advertisers the raisins baked into the cookie that no one wants exactly right <laughs> sponsored by chips ahoy um, exactly. No, right. Or the or when he did the when he did the Mountain Dew thing, the Mountain Dew Red, which is the worst uh, drink that you could ever drink. It yeah, it tastes like red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, it's very funny. It's a very 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 funny. Yeah, piece. I mean, it, it goes through. I don't know. Usually, he covers both sides a little bit more, uh, which I don't know if he gave it a fair shake. Well, he did. He did. He did. He did speak to. He goes. You know, you and I are part of the yeah. problem. Speaking as consumers, he's like because we don't. We're not willing to pay for because of the business. Yeah, the this issue. Is so basically, let's go. Why is native advertising catching on so much? And the biggest issue is is because the business model of publishing is in some cases in dire straits or has been in dire straits. That new publishing models have arisen 
It's not really a native advertising, as you know, is not new because it's been going on in print forever. And even he starts out with the camel sponsored piece, right? The, right. The smoking yep, exactly. where the brought news, to you, yeah, the news is brought to you by camel, um, which is a little bit more of a product placement sponsorship thing. But anyways, you get the you get the gist. The two things right. that I took from it is that the first thing, the the problems that arise or why it's the raisins that we don't want in the cookie is that we talked about this, I think maybe last week or two weeks ago, that publishers aren't setting up editorial requirements strict enough. They really need, and they don't like, you don't never like to come back to an advertiser and say, look, we can't accept your content because it's crap. That And right. that's the problem. We have to do that. You have to say, look, you will allow you into our native advertising program or opportunity, but we are going to have our best editors on this. They are going to edit it down, and it's going to make sure that it's really good content. And if it's not, it won't get approved. But salespeople are scared of that because they don't want to lose the advertiser or the, that relationship and that trust there. So that, right. I think that, that one thing is really important. And the second thing is on the brand side, and I can speak of this firsthand and I'm not going to, you know, we're all friends here. I'm not going to go throw people under the bus. But I know a lot of people that we work with that pay for it like an ad and don't put any time into it and they give you really bad content they don't think about the yep. audience they don't think about the content they don't treat it with love and respect and what the opportunity is they just say oh great i'm gonna use and abuse this publisher's platform and throw up this horrible stuff and if something happens great because we're gonna get impressions because they're gonna promote it which hurts and ends up hurting the publisher in the long run so that's the two things if we could fix those two things i don't have any issues with native advertising done right so I don't know if you have a take with with that. Well, I do. The only thing I would, I mean, I agree 100 percent with everything you just said. I mean, what I would say to you know, in response, and this is what I told my wife last night. Not that she cared. I mean, she just wanted to yell at me. Um, but the, the what I what I would say to John Oliver. I mean, and I know what I, you know. Look, I know it's a comedy show, right? So I, I understand that that there's no argue, There's not a debate to be had here. He was, you know, he's he's doing a comedy show, but. When he went off on basically the head of time who who said, we're going to put our best editors on this and our best writers on this, and we're going to remove the quote-unquote uh, church and state if there ever was such a thing. And he goes off on that basically saying, are you kidding me? Of course there's a church and state, and you know this is the way you've got to operate and journalism, and this is the argument that, that journalism has been making for you know a long time. Like, oh my gosh, there's journalism and it's going to get ruined. It's like, no, 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 no. There have been, there's been gambling going on in the casino for a long, 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 long time. Way before, you know, if anybody, you know, if anybody thinks that news hasn't been influenced by advertisers and that the corporate sponsors don't have some level of influence on the, on the way that the news you're kidding yourself right this is this has been happening forever the business model is changing not the influence you know the position of the ad instead of being next to the article is now within the article and that's the real difference that we're talking about here you know, it's the the one portion where the Time Inc. Because we talked about this uh, last week, I believe, when Time Inc. created their native unit, advertising unit department. So, the, but the one thing that when he was getting interviewed and they showed it on on John Oliver, he's talking about, uh, oh, it's great now because the editors love reporting to the business people and they're happy, and you know, we don't have any church and state. This is what I'm thinking, and this would probably never work. But what if? The salespeople, the revenue reported into the product group. 
instead. Like, seriously. Like, they're all on the same team. There's no church and state. But you just reverse that. Would that could that possibly work? Could that be a fixture? Because then the 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 writing team, the the product team, because that's what it is. We talked about that with the Facebook app ads, and that's why that worked. Because the product team and the revenue team became one team. But what if instead of if you do a reporting structure like that, I think that the content becomes subservient to the revenue. It's gonna it's gonna happen because because the revenue will always win unless you have a really conscientious salesperson running that organization. How do you structure an organization that really makes that that focus you know you said it well, right? How do you actually get that quality in there in such a way that you can guarantee that there's gonna the quality will remain and yet there is the this ultimately the service to the advertiser and i think that's a delicate balance for sure but it strikes me that it's a lot more assured if you have your people doing it rather than if you're sort of letting you know letting letting the advertiser run wild i did i do have to say though that the example that john oliver showed of the uh, women in prisons issue from the new york times sponsored by uh, orange is the new black that's right netflix it did kind of weird me out a little bit. It didn't seem quite right. And I, I'm in this industry, so I'm not weirded out by any of it. But for some reason, that just <laughs> seemed not right. Did you have that feeling at all? I didn't see one? the piece, actually. I mean, when he showed it, I mean, in the context of the way he was showing it, it seems a little, it seems a little odd. It seemed, I guess... M- m- you know, I, the weird thing is, is that I actually saw a reference to that in, I think it was Ad Age or some other magazine where they actually referenced that piece as sort of a of, of an interesting piece of native advertising. And I went and read the article about it, but I didn't actually see the piece because I didn't see the, you know, I didn't see it online. But yeah, it's a, yeah, it's it's not, no difference. I just think that there is some concern over that because of the fact. If you look at just New York Times. And it was great for a little while because they started the paid subscription and it looked like a boom. But now we know that paid subscription stops growing after you get all the people to subscribe that are going to subscribe. That's right. So now you have no more new revenue coming in. You don't have that growth. So now you've got, of course, New York Times and Native are really moving. They're doing a lot of stuff in Native and they're getting out there saying that they're for it. And it's all... and. I don't know. There's another thing that's going to come to a head here over a really old concept that's just now you know, uncovered <laughs> itself. So <laughs> it's it should be a wild ride, my friend. Speaking of wild rides, we have lovely and wonderful new creative from our friends at Miami. That's I we do. Uh, and by the way, Miami is sponsoring this week. They're going to be gone for a couple weeks because we have some other sponsor obligations. Uh, that we have to to make sure that we fulfill, but then Miami will be back, so they're not going anywhere, but just for just for a little while. Um, they have a new webinar that they put together called the Fifth P of Marketing: People, Email, and the Shifting Power Paradigm. Uh, I have only gotten through about ten minutes of it. I already loved it because I just got the creative, uh, so we're going to share that now. You can go to bitly.com/slash Emma and the number five, all lowercase, bit.ly.com slash myemma5. Please check it out. Some great stuff. What I love about uh, Myemma as having a sponsor is 
they always give us content. I mean, it's really important being a content marketing show that we actually have content to promote right. <laughs> as part of uh, the promotion materials. And they do a really good job and they really buy into the importance of this content first approach. So please go check it out when you get a chance. It's I think it's 50 minutes long, so it does have some time. Uh, they've got some amazing stats in there and some really good how-to takeaways. I'm going to get through the rest of it a little bit after this, but please go ahead and download that. Thank you to myama.com uh, for supporting us. If you're not familiar with Myama, a great email marketing delivery tool, uh, all the social integrations that you can get, of course, the the wonderful concierge tools. If you can't figure out what you're doing, give them a call, shoot them an email. They'll help you out, get you up and running right away. Thank you to Myama for being a great uh, supporter of ours. So we really appreciate it. Myama.com, Emma, email marketing. And uh, back to you, my friend. Wow, what a fantastic! I, I I can't wait to go check it out. This is the first time hearing of it, so I'm actually going to go check it out and see what it's all about. Um, so now, the favorite part of our show, our rants and rave sections, where we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave, depending on something that's given us a little bit of agita over the last week or something. We want to show <laughs> a little love to actually. So I'm going first since I have this old marketing this week, um, and I have a I have a rant. So. Uh, my rant this week is is a really interesting one. I think um, it's a short rant, so um, uh, I, I'll, I'll be quick about it. <clears throat> and it comes from a site called Juxtapose, which already set me off a little bit. Um, the J U X T A P O Z dot com, which looks like a you know a, a site that's publishing for art and photography. Do warning: it's not necessarily safe for work. It's there's some interesting photography there that's not necessarily. Um, suitable for the kitties or for the workplace. And there was a video that was put on this, and it, and it started making its rounds a little bit. And, and, and basically, the, the title of the video is No F-Head, and they actually say it out loud. Um, you are not a storyteller. And it really is this guy who is a designer. His name is Stefan Sagmeister, and I will not attempt to do his accent, although I, every bone in my body wants to do his German accent in the worst oh, way. On, let's do it. Because he's a little bit we like, uh, you know, the, do you remember Saturday Night Live? The, yes. The, the theater, we, now is the time for dancing. Yes, well, he's, he's that guy. Um, and he's the creator of the firm Sagmeister & Walsh, which is a design firm. And he talks about basically how storytelling has become this meaningless buzzword and that you're, you know, if you're not a storyteller, how dare you call yourself one? And, the, you know, so the, the, the whole fact that the content, the video itself is sponsored by this event company that actually does events and educational conferences and stuff is sort of so beyond ironic here and, and, and meta that, you know, we won't even talk about that. But what I hate the most about this is – his sort of co-opting of the word storyteller as only that which designers can call or, or that writers can call themselves. Because what he basically says is that he says that people who are storytellers, and he basically subcategorizes them as novelists and screenwriters, they don't see themselves as storytellers, he says, which I, can, I work in Hollywood. Trust me, that is not true. <laughs> they all call themselves storytellers. And by the way, what's wrong with that? Storytelling is not a title. It's not, it's, not a t it's not something that you go earn a degree to earn. For example, if I go build my house, however much I might suck at building a house, while I'm doing that, I'm allowed to call myself a house builder. And it's not denigrating to the term house builder if I call myself a house builder as I'm building my house. 
And if, even mm-hmm. if I don't do it that well. And then Stefan actually then goes ahead and perpetrates all of this by saying, well, these non-storytellers, they go off the premise that because I saw a movie, well, now I'm a filmmaker. Or because I watched the Philharmonic, now I'm a virtuoso. No, they don't. Storytellers are not necessarily doing that. And when he finishes, he basically says, because I'm a designer, that's what entitles me to this t- title of, of storyteller. So ultimately, I, you know, I don't really care that much about Stefan and the whole thing, but so yes, the term storyteller these days is getting misused, but it's not because that people are calling themselves storytellers enough or too much. I, you know, and in fact, I would argue that most people are so scared of actually telling stories that they don't tell stories because they're so, so scared of the term. And that's what I dislike most about this video is, is that it's dissuading people from actually telling stories. But we're confusing what a story is. And so if I stand up in front of you, if I say just random words or if I read some government document, well, I'm not a storyteller in that moment. Maybe I'm an orator or maybe I'm you know, just reading a government document, but I'm not a storyteller. But if I'm funny or if I'm engaging or if I tell you something that makes you cry or make you laugh, I'm a storyteller. Sorry, that's the end of it. And that happens every single day to every single one of us. And it is the thing that will help differentiate us in our careers and our businesses. It's beyond just content marketing. It is what is going to become the differentiating thing for us as, as communicators in business. And so for that, I say we, we are all storytellers. We all have that capacity. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, I haven't I haven't gone through the two minute video yet, but it sounds fascist to me. So there you go. It it, it it's not democratic, right? We need <laughs> we need. It's the same argument that media companies made five years ago and continue to make and say that brands can't tell stories, can't do content marketing because that's what we do. Hands off. Right? That's what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's it's basically the same argument that I used to hear when I was, you know, when I came out here to L.A. and I was going to be a rock star. It was the same thing that I used to hear all of the time that, you know, if you're, you know, you can't be, you, you can't be an artist unless you're an artist, right? You can't call yourself an artist unless you're an artist. And that's just, you know, that's just a silly point of view to have. I'll tell you. Well, here's mine. Uh, my rave here, uh, because I told you at the beginning of the show that, we went to the Jack Daniels Distillery uh, for a great time of, of friends. We had 10 of us that went. And what I took away from this was, by the way, the history of Jack Daniels, 1866, uh, never manufactured a drop of Jack Daniels that wasn't in Lynchburg, uh, Tennessee. It, it's beyond, It's really unbelievable. It is like a Graceland to some people. Very well done. I can't it's, – it's a family place too, by the way, like – I would recommend it to anybody who likes tours and history and it's great to, you know great town associated with it and all kinds of crafty stuff. So so beyond that, what I got from it is the number of products that Jack Daniels makes. I had really no idea as they were going through it and they what we would call them you know, in the product side business, you call them like brand extensions, right? You'd have different. So you have Jack Daniels and you have Jack Daniels Tennessee Honey, which is the second uh, bestseller of Jack Daniels besides the old number seven. Then you've got Single Barrel. You've got Gentleman Jack. You've got uh, Tennessee Fire, which is a new one. And they have literally hundreds of other products. But as I'm going through the the tour, Robert, this is what I, I just couldn't. It was unbelievable. Even the briquettes because Every the Tennessee Fire, so the the hundred and ninety proof that goes through uh, all these little briquettes, 
they they resell those briquettes as Jack Daniels briquettes nice. and the corn mush that they send that that goes to farmers that want to then feed their livestock That's so fantastic. they sell that they literally everything that comes off of the land goes back in and supports different businesses and then so everything that they do is this a whole thing about reuse and then of course with the product they have this great product then how do they reuse that into new opportunities and they're looking at their audience cuz what i found out i didn't know gentleman jack even though it's a it's a lighter tasting is more preferred by men where uh, the ten, uh, the the Jack Daniels is more preferred by women, which is more of a full body feel to it. Uh, which I had, you know, you just learn these things as you go through the whole the whole uh, thing. And I'm ta- I'm taking this, and of course, I've got my content marketing hat on, and I'm putting this whole thing where we just think of our content as one thing. It's a blog, it's a newsletter, it's, and we never plan for extensions off of that. And I just thought about the missed opportunity where if we could start thinking about doing a, like, for example, let's take the Adidas example that we just talked about. I'm wondering if they already planned to have extensions off of that content. I'm, I'm thinking they do. I think your idea of a documentary, I bet you they're already planning it. It's already planned. And I guess to those people listening out there, because we're trying to do this at Content Marketing Institute as well and start to think more about the content to what strategy. So I create a piece of, I'm planning to create a piece of content. Let me think now before I create that content, what other things that content could be turned into? Could it be an ebook? Could it be part of a book? Could it be, should this be an event? Could this be part of a, a newsletter, or a magazine, or whatever? And I just think that most of us think about this one-use content thing, and we're done. And I think if we had more of the mentality of, of Jack Daniels, I think that it would be, and I had no idea, $8 billion company, privately owned. Uh, just, that's what I got out of it. And that's like sort of my rave is, I wish that more of us <laughs> would be out there doing a little bit more what what uh, Jack Daniels does with their extensions. So it's wonderful. It's that, you know, it's that it's that, um, you know, we've talked about this before and it, we, we're talking about it at, uh, at workshops and, and some of the consulting we're doing, which is we're so used to as marketers thinking medium first and then message. Um, you know, we think, what's our ad campaign going to be or what's our email campaign going to be or what's our social campaign going to be? And then, OK, right, we want to do a social or an ad or a print or a TV campaign. Now, what's the content that's going to fill that campaign? And instead, with content marketing, and what you're really getting at is it's story first and then function second, or form second, That's rather. Right. So it's, what's a great idea for a story? And now let's think about, instead of walking up to somebody and saying, hey, I got a great idea for a blog post. It's like, no, let's rethink that. It's a, we have a great idea for a story. And now let's think about all of the different ways that that story can express itself. And if we can start exercising that muscle a little bit, where we're actually thinking story first and then how the story is actually going to express itself in multiple ways, I think we'll go a long way to what you're talking about. It's it, it it's so – if you just think about it, what you just said that way with how Jack Daniels manufactures their, their main brand, the, the black label, is every other piece of Jack Daniels – that they sell, whether it's the cola, whether it's every other product of the hundreds of products comes from one process and that's black label. And then everything else is put through a smaller secondary process to create single barrel, the Tennessee honey, the gentleman, Jack, all that, but it's all one process. And that's what blew, blew my mind. They're not taking it off and doing a whole separate thing. It's all in line. And I think that that's where we want to get as content marketers. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. All right. Well, now on to the namesake of our show, This Old Marketing, 
where we actually look at something from days gone by that actually represents all of the wonderful stuff that we talk about here. And this one, it, there's a little bit of poet, uh, poetry here. Um, this one, an association, just for you, Joe, just for the... Oh, <laughs> just for so the, nice. Yeah, exactly. So this comes to us... Um, uh, I actually have to give a hat tip out here to Heidi Cohen, who um, I actually took this from her website. She actually had a blog post on this particular... Wait, wait, study. before you go any further, Robert, I need to... We have to do the hat, hat tip to you. Your, um, your rant from Nanad Senek. Oh, absolutely, so to Nanad. Well, I'd seen way. it before, and Nanad had sent it over, but I did, oh, yeah, definitely okay. had I'm tipped sorry. in. Just want to throw out some absolutely. credit as you go back to your example. Absolutely. Here. Well, Nanad may not want to take responsibility for that after that, that, that <laughs> rant. <laughs> So anyway, this uh, this this week's this old marketing is from the Aircraft Owner and Pilots Association, AOPA.org. Um, and they have been doing content, as you might expect, as an association forever and ever and ever. Um, the association has been around since 1939. Um, and really from the beginning, the AOPA has really been about um, general aviation, safety for pilots, uh, making you know general aviation fun affordable it's a it's a membership organization um, and they now have it as of 2010 uh, there was 400,000 members and they've literally grown uh, even more than that there's um, from the case study from Heidi Cohen's site there's 600,000 uh, members now of the association itself and they've been doing content as I mentioned forever their airline uh, excuse me air air uh, uh, their pilots magazine what they call the AOPA pilot magazine has been around since 1958. Now, of course, that's a member magazine, and it's built on loyalty and delivering content for that. But they actually, starting in the early 2000s, launched an entire uh, institute, um, which should sound familiar to us, an entire (laughs) institute with a magazine and a website and video and quizzes and all this content that had to do with safety, airline and pilot and passenger safety. And it's all free. So if you're a pilot... You can go onto this website and you can take quizzes. You can actually download information. There are case studies. There are uh, courses, online educational courses. There are videos. Basically, all of this content that's derived just simply for pilots and how they can be safer, how they can have more fun, how they can. And, and yes, there are calls to action in there to become a member, and they, and they use that for marketing purposes um, as well. But it's mostly de- delivering value to pilots more generally in the, in the scheme of really pilot safety. And they've been doing that for the last 15 years, of, um, and it's just a great example of this old marketing. Wow, sounds like an association that's actually doing content marketing well. Yeah, exactly. How odd, right. Maggie. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Maggie will write All about right, it, but she uh, won't have listened to the show. That's the yeah, that's no, that's <laughs> probably not. All right, so so what do you got going on this? Next I'm week? heads down. I'm still heads down in the book, and um, I travel next week. Um, so next week I'll be doing this. Um, um, actually, in a weird twist of irony, I'll be doing the show probably from Cleveland, but not in the same place that you are in Cleveland. So we're go- actually, you know what, we're going to have to figure that out because of the fact that our charity outing—that's uh, right, CMI Golf for Autism—is Monday, and I might not. We might have to do it on Sunday. All right, well, we'll figure so, that part anyways. out. Anyway, I'll be in <laughs> Cleveland for a very, 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 very short time, and then I'm off to Atlanta. Uh, to go work with a client on uh, on their content marketing strategy and their process, and um, and then I'm home again, and hopefully being home, working on my presentations and my workshops and everything, getting ready for content marketing world, which is woohoo, less than a month away. So I'm just super psyched. 
Yeah, same thing here. I mean, I got lots of presentations coming up. Uh, of course, this year, I got, this week, I've, I'm heads down with the golf outing. Uh, very happy to be working with Easter Seals of Northern Ohio to to support the program and and help uh, you know kids who can't get the speech therapy need uh, needs met if they've got you know a family situation that there's not enough revenue coming in. It, speech therapy can be very costly, so it's just nice that that's one thing that we do to try to help out a little bit. So looking forward to that on on Monday and uh, and five weeks still content marketing world. So rock on. Well, that, that is you it. Got it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off for this week. And won't you tweet us up at hashtag thisoldmarketing or follow us, you know, get us an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. Come check out the blog post, subscribe, do all that wonderful stuff. It is Shark Week after all, folks. Stay out of the water, review us, subscribe at iTunes or Stitcher.com. All of the links, of course, that we talk about today and all of the shows are available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody... It's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.